You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. You know, I heard about a, a young Christian who, who was in his early 20s, and he's talking to, a, to, to an elderly Christian who's, who's like in his late 80s, almost 90, and he asks, he says, Sir, how old will I be uh, when, when, when sin is no longer tempting to me? And, and this silver-haired saint looked at him, smiled, and said, Young man, I don't know. When I get that old, I'll tell you. Uh, so in the same way, let me ask you, you know, especially those of you who have been Christians for quite a while now, you know, you know I've, I've been walking with the Lord now for almost 37 years. And so, you know, for, for those of you who, who've, who've been believers for a while, uh, you know, let me ask you this, how many of you uh, still seem to struggle with the same temptations you struggled with when you first got saved, when you, when you first became a Christian? Or, you know, how many of you have tried to stop a certain sin or, or, or quit a, an addiction or, 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 or drop a habit only? to go right back to it. You know, I mean, how true are the words that Jesus said in John 8, 34, when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin, a slave of sin. Now, how many of you feel that way? How many of you feel like you're a slave to sin? Well, the theme of our passage this morning is this. Sons be- become slaves, and on the other hand, slaves can become sons. Listen to this. If, if you're a slave to sin, well, then you can become a son of the living God. You can be set free from your sin by believing in Jesus. Because listen, when you believe in Jesus Christ, uh, then, then in that moment, you become a son of the living God. And so now with that, let's go back and look at the first three verses where we see that that Paul's using two analogies in this passage. And so in verse one, Paul says again, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So as I just mentioned, in this passage, Paul's using two analogies. Now, the analogies that he's using are, are, number one, the analogy of a household slave, a household slave. But then number two, he's using the analogy of a child who's coming of age and becoming an adult, a child coming of age and becoming an adult. And by using these two analogies, Paul is really making a contrast. And it's a contrast uh, uh, between what what you used to be like uh, in in your BC days, that is before Christ, before you became a Christian, versus what you're like now that you've come to Christ, you know, in your your so-called AD life, you know, you're, you're, you're after you've come to Christ life. And so listen, you know, before Jesus came into your life, what Paul's saying is, is that you were like slaves. In fact, in Paul's analogy, you were like slavish children who, who had, uh, had to keep the household rules. But now that, that you've been redeemed, now that the shackles have come off, you've been set free from your sins. You're no longer a slave to your sins. You're now a son. So this is the analogy that Paul's using. And by the way, this analogy that Paul used uh, would not have fallen on deaf ears. I mean, this would have been an analogy that anyone in his original audience would have understood, whether that audience was a Jewish audience or a Greek audience or a Roman audience. Because all of those cultures all had their own coming-of-age ceremonies. You know, for example, in the Jewish culture, they'd have the bar mitzvah. Now, the bar mitzvah, of course, is when a boy turns 13. He's no longer a boy, but now he is, quote, a son of the commandment. 
the, the son of a commandment. That's what bar mitzvah means. It means the son of a commandment, which means that, that he's now accountable uh, to the law of God for himself. In other words, his parents are no longer responsible. He's responsible. And so now as a result, he, he can now live and function and act as, a, as an adult member in the Jewish community which means that he can, he can read the scriptures for himself, he can expound on the scriptures, he can, he, can, he can obey the commandments of God for himself. So that's the Jewish bar mitzvah. But then in the Roman culture, their coming of age ceremony was called the toga virilis. Now the toga virilis, uh, the, the son would, would take his childhood toys and then sacrifice them to the gods. It was sort of a symbol that he was leaving his childhood behind. He had sacrificed his childhood and he's moving into adulthood. In fact, many scholars believe that, that this is what the Apostle Paul was referring to earlier back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when Paul said, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So there's the Jewish bar mitzvah, there's the Roman uh, toga virilis, and then there was the Greek apoteria. Now the apoteria, a, a son's long hair would be cut off and then sacrificed and offered to the Greek god Apollo. Now, in the Greek household and in the Roman household, children were placed under the care of a tutor, or as the tutor's called here in verse 2, a guardian or a manager. You see, the, the child would, would be under the authority of basically a household slave or, 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 or a manager, as they were called, and, and so this child had to submit to that slave. They, 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 they were ruled by that slave. And, and so effectively, the child's position, even in his own house, was basically no different than one of the household slaves until he came of age, until he, he, he came to that, that coming of age ceremony and became an adult. But until then, he was treated like a slave, he lived with the slaves, and he had to answer to the slaves. And so this is the analogy that Paul's using. Now, now, why is he using this analogy? Well, it's because of this group that we've been dealing with for the last several weeks called the Judaizers. You see, the Judaizers had come along and, and, and they called themselves the sons of Abraham. The sons of Abraham. But then again, uh, the, the Judaizers looked at the Greeks and, and the Romans or anyone who wasn't Jewish, the, the so-called Gentiles, and they viewed the Gentiles as slaves. And so the, the Jews were the sons of Abraham and the Gentiles were the slaves. And so the Judaizers came along and they said, hey, listen, you Gentiles, you're, you're slaves. And so if, if you want to be free, I mean, if you want to be set free from your slavery, well, then you need to become children of Abraham. And the only way to become children of Abraham is, is to convert to Judaism. So you've got to get circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to keep all these different feast days. You've got to convert to Judaism so you can become a son of Abraham. And this is what Paul's speaking to right now. This is what he's challenging. And so Paul's basically saying, hey, listen, the truth of the matter is that we're all slaves. That is, we're all slaves to sin. He says, you know, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're a Jew or a Roman, Jew or Gentile-like, we are all slaves to sin, and we all need to be set free. And the only way anyone is going to be set free is to be adopted as sons of God. Not as sons of Abraham, sons of God. And so this is the point that Paul's making. And now that he makes this point, now in verses 4 and 5, now Paul says that the right time... I'm sorry, that at the right time, the son became a slave so that slaves could become sons. And so now in verse 4, Paul says, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So now, first of all, we have the phrase, but at the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. Now, uh, this, this is a phrase that, that just speaks of, of, a, of a period of preparation. And so it's almost as if it, it's saying that, that God was preparing the, the whole world for this perfect moment in time when the Savior would come. Now, listen, in the context of Galatians, what Paul's talking about is, is that up until now, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, the people were living under the law of Moses. But the problem with living under the law of Moses is that they kept breaking the law of Moses. So every time they broke the law of Moses, they had to go to the temple and, and offer a sacrifice uh, in order to atone for their sins. But the problem here was that the sacrifice was only temporary. You had to keep doing it. So you had to keep going to the temple and offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But the problem is that after thousands of years of offering sacrifices, the people got to the point where, where they were tired of offering sacrifices. They got to the point where they longed for the day that they would never have to bring an innocent animal to the, to the temple and slaughter that poor innocent animal. They longed for the day when they would never have to offer a sacrifice again. And so what Paul's saying is that, you know what? That day has come. The day that you've been longing for, the day that you've been desiring that you would never have to offer a sacrifice again, you would never have to, to slaughter a poor innocent animal again. That day, the fullness of that day has come when Jesus came, the Son of God came, to be the ultimate sacrifice, the final sacrifice, the lasting sacrifice. The Bible says that Jesus was, was offered once and for all for the sins of mankind. He was the lasting sacrifice. And so it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent for his son. God sent his son into the world. He sent him at the right time, at the perfect time. But why was this the perfect time? Why was this time the perfect timing for the son to come? Well, there's two reasons for that. Reason number one was that this was the perfect time politically. The perfect time politically. You see, right now, Rome was ruling the world, right? And under Roman domination, there was what was called Roman peace, Pax Romana. Now listen, Roman peace was really an oxymoron, you know, kind of like jumbo shrimp, you know, or, or government intelligence, you know, it's just kind of an oxymoron. And so Roman peace, Pax Romana, was, was anything but peaceful. Why is that? Well, because, you know, Rome, you know, they, they were expanding their empire, how? By attacking other nations, dominating them, and then enslaving them. But because the people were, were enslaved, a lot of the people protested. They were outraged. And so riots would break out, revolts would break out. But those revolts always ended in a bloodbath because Rome would send legions of soldiers to quickly stomp out any riot. And so under, under Roman rule, they ruled with an iron fist. They ruled with a heavy hand. And so this was a time politically where the people under that rule were being oppressed. It was a time of oppression. Now, number two, the reason it was, it was the right time, it was the right time spiritually. In fact, historians tell us that, 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 that there was like this worldwide spiritual hunger. Worldwide. In fact, uh, throughout the Roman Empire, people just had this spiritual hunger. In fact, the Romans themselves believed that there would be a coming savior king 
who, who, would, who would rule Rome, a savior king. And so they were looking for this savior king at this particular time in history. And then as for the Jews, of course, their expectation for the Messiah, their expectation for their savior was at an all-time fever pitch. And so at this particular time, this unique time in the world where like the whole world was spiritually hungry and also the whole world was politically oppressed, it was at this perfect time that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, as it says in verse three, under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now what that's saying, what Paul is saying is that, you know what, if we want to be free, then we need to be adopted as sons. If we want to be free, we need to be adopted. Now I've said this before in previous messages, but that word adoption, it, it, it may not mean what you think it means. It, 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 in the original language of the Bible, this is not a word that, that speaks of adopting a cute little baby, you know, going to an adoption center or doing a little fast adopt kind of a thing. No, this is a word that speaks of adopting a full-grown adult, and particularly a slave. You, now, keep in mind, in, in the Roman Empire, the population of the Roman Empire, literally half of the Roman Empire's population, some 60 million people, literally half of, of, of Rome's population, the Roman Empire's population, were slaves. 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Listen, this was an illustration that the general person in that day would have understood. Now, listen, according to, to Roman law, let's say that you had a son. And, and, and your son is going to be your heir. They're, they're going to inherit your, your, your family name. They're going to inherit your estate. They'll inherit the family business. But let's say something happens. And let's say your son dies before you die. And now you have no heir. Well, now, according to Roman law, what you could do is adopt one of your slaves as your son. And so now they become your heir. And so now when you die, they carry on your family estate. They carry on your family legacy. They carry on your family business. And so what Paul is simply saying is, listen, because the Son of God died, slaves of sin can become sons of God. Because the Son of God died, slaves of sin can become sons of God. You know, I read of an Arab teenager. This is a story that took place hundreds of years ago. But an Arab teenager who got in a fight with a, with a close friend of his, and, and one thing led to another, tempers flared, and in the, in the heat of the moment, he killed his friend by accident. But now, uh, according to tribal law, uh, tribal law demanded his death. And so this young man fled to the tent of the tribal leader, the sheik, and, and, and he pled his case. He, he begged for, 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 for protection. He, he, he begged for sanctuary. And, and, the, and the sheik vowed that he would give him safety, that he'd protect him. But in the morning, this bloodthirsty crowd comes up to the tent and they say, we demand this young man's blood. And the sheik answers and says, you know, he, I've already promised him my protection. And, and, I, and I can't go back on my promise. And they say, you have no idea who he murdered. And he answered and said, you know, it doesn't matter. I've already given him my protection. I've given him my word and I can't go back on my word. And they answered and said, but the, the young man that he killed was your son. And, and at that moment, the sheik broke down. He, he, he wept. And then once he regained his composure, he looked up and he said, well, then if he killed my son, then my son he shall become to replace him. You see, and this is what the Bible's saying. Because uh, Jesus died, you become sons. Because our sins killed Jesus, you can become God's sons. You get, you get adopted into the family of God. 
And now as we look at verses 6 and 7, we, we, we find out that when you get adopted into the family of God, others will be able to tell. They'll, 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 they'll see his likeness in you. They'll see his likeness in you. Verse 6, Paul says, and because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, nowadays we, we hear about all these people who are doing like, like Ancestry DNA or Ancestry.com or 23andMe, right? You know, and, and, and they take these little DNA tests only to discover that they were adopted. You know, and, and they discover maybe there was an affair or, or they discover that, you know, maybe they were orphaned and somebody else adopted them. And they're like, you know, now this makes so much sense. Now I know why everybody in my family has like brown hair and brown eyes and I've got red hair and green eyes. It's all coming together now. Well, now kind of with that in mind, here's what Paul's saying. When, when, when Paul says again in verse six, because you are sons, uh, God has, has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And so what he's saying is this. You know what? When, when, when a human father adopts a child, uh, you know, although you can, you can pass on your values, you can pass on your, your, your belief system, the one thing you cannot pass on to your adopted child are your physical traits. You cannot pass on your red hair and your green eyes to your adopted child unless you're God. You see, a human father cannot pass on his traits, but what Paul's saying is that God the Father can pass on his traits to his sons. How? He says, by putting the spirit of his son in your heart. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, in that moment, you are indwelt by the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit fills you. So what this means is, is, is from now on, people who knew you from the past, people who knew the old you from, from, from your BC days, you know, people who knew what you were like when you were a quote-unquote slave to sin, you know, now they look at you and, and they see something different. This is what the Bible calls the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so people, you know, they, 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 they look at you and they see these traits in your life. You know, now that Jesus is in your life, they, they can see that you're more loving than you used to be. You have, you have more peace. You, you, have, you have more joy in your life. And they start saying things to you like, you know what, I, I don't know what's happened, but, but, you know, something's happened to you. I mean, you, you're, you're completely different. You're not the same person. You've changed somehow. And what they're seeing are his traits in you. What they're seeing is that he's put the spirit of his son in your heart, and now they're seeing the resemblance. They're seeing, now that you've been adopted into the family of God, they're seeing more of him in your life. They're seeing his traits in you. And now finally, verses 8 through 11, Paul kind of wraps it up by asking a question. And the question is this, now that you're a son, why would you choose slavery? And so Paul says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, here was the problem with the Galatians. 
You see, the problem was that, was that you know, many of them as, as, as Greeks living in the Galatian region, you know, they, they were saved from a life of paganism, meaning that, that when they were pagans, you know, when, whenever they, they sensed, uh, you know, that, that there was sin in their life, whenever they sensed that they failed, that they, that they messed up, that they blew it, that they, that they fell short, they would go to the, the pagan temple, you know, maybe the temple of Zeus or, 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 or whatever, and, and offer a sacrifice to appease whatever god it was that they were worshiping. And, 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 and after they offered that sacrifice, the problem was that they still felt guilty. So then they went to a different temple, offered a sacrifice to a different Greek god, and, 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 and only to find themselves still feeling the same way, still feeling guilty, still feeling like it didn't work. And they would do this over and over and over again until one day they heard the gospel. One day they heard about Jesus and all of a sudden they, they put their trust in Jesus and for the first time in their whole lives, they feel like they've been set free from their sins. They feel like they're no longer slaves to sin, but they feel like they're sons. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, having, having been set free from that crazy cycle where, you know, you, you sin, you blow it, you feel guilty, so then you go and you offer some kind of religious sacrifice, but you still feel guilty, you commit another sin, and, and you feel guilty, you go and offer a sacrifice, rinse and repeat, you just keep doing the th same thing over and over and over again. He says, you know, now that you've become sons, now that you've been set free from your sins, I mean, why in the world would you ever want to go back to, to that kind of slavery, that crazy little cycle? Now, how were they going back to their slavery? Well, they were going back because they were buying what the so-called Judaizers were selling. Again, the Judaizers come along and they're like, hey, listen, you, 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 you Galatians, you're, you're Greeks. That means you're, you're slaves, you're sinners. And, and if you want to be set free from your sins, if you want to, you want to have your sins forgiven, well, then you got to offer this sacrifice and that sacrifice. You got to keep, you know, uh, this feast, the, the Passover feast or the, the day of atonement. You've got to keep this holy day and that holy day. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, by doing that, you're repeating the cycle all over again. It's the same thing you did when you were, when you were pagans. You, you sin, you feel guilty, you go and you offer a sacrifice, you sin again, you feel guilty, you go and offer a sacrifice, you're repeating the same slavery, the same cycle. And so the issue in this passage is, is that sons were making themselves slaves, and so here's Paul's message to them. He's simply saying, you are no longer slaves, you are sons. In fact, go back and look at chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, the apostle Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you were all sons of God through faith. Listen to this. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were adopted into the family of God. And in that very moment, he put the spirit of his son in you, the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says in Romans 8, verses 14 and 15, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, listen, here's the problem. I don't know about you. You ever feel this way? Does it ever seem to you that, that you know, trying to live the Christian life seems a little bipolar? <laughs> you know, I mean, because, you know, on the one hand, you, you know, you, you, you've got the Holy Spirit inside you, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is bearing witness on your inside that you really are a son of God, that you really are a daughter of God, that you are a child of God. But on the other hand, you've got this thing called flesh. 
And as Jesus put it in Matthew 26, 41, the, the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have this stinking flesh, right? You know, and, and, and our flesh is prone to, to give in to temptation. Our, our flesh is prone to, to give in to sin. And the moment we do, the moment we give in to sin, what happens? In that very moment, we no longer feel worthy of being called sons and daughters. In fact, in that moment, we, we, we feel like, like lowly, two-bit slaves, in fact, in many ways, I think this reminds me of, of, the, of the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told back in Luke chapter 15. Remember in Luke 15, Jesus tells this story of the son who, who defiantly goes and rebels against his father, takes uh, his, his, his portion of the family inheritance, and then he goes, the Bible tells us, and squanders it all on, 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 on wild living, wayward living, which evidently included prostitutes. But when his money ran out, so did his so-called friends. So he gets to the point where he's moneyless, he's friendless, and homeless. He meets a pig farmer who allows him to, to f- have a job feeding his pigs, and he gets to the point where he's so hungry, he's actually wishing he could eat the food that the pigs were eating. And you have to understand that, that this was as low as a, as a kosher Jewish boy could ever find himself sinking. And it's on that note that we pick it up in the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And Jesus says, And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. You catch what's happening here? What's happening is the same thing Paul's talking to the Galatians about. What's happening is is that this this son, this rebellious son, because of his sin, no longer feels worthy to be called a son and now is wanting to make himself a slave. So he goes back to his father's house and he tries to give this speech that he's he's rehearsed a hundred times. He tries to to make himself a, a slave in his father's house, but his father doesn't have any of that. In fact, the the dad, when when he sees the son from a distance, the Bible tells us that the dad jumps up and runs down and and, and throws his arms around him. And then he puts a robe on him. You have to understand that in that culture at that time, it was considered highly undignified for older men, like the father in that story, for older men to run. And so we wonder, well, why was this father running? Well, now it could have been that, you know, he just missed his son. That, you know, maybe, maybe day after day, he kept going to the porch, waiting for his son to come back. And finally, he sees him coming down the road, and he just can't contain himself. He just can't help it. And he jumps to his feet, and he runs and throws his arms around him. That could be what's happening. But I'll tell you what I think it is. I think he was protecting his son. Here's why I think he was protecting his son. Because according to Deuteronomy chapter 21... Deuteronomy chapter 21, if a son like this rebels against his father like he did, well then the elders of that city, in fact the entire city, were to take a son like that and stone him to death. And so more than likely, they were all getting ready to apply Deuteronomy chapter 21 to the rebellious son. And so he looks and he sees his his son coming up the road and, 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 and all of a sudden he sees the people. And the people are like, you know, hey, there's that lousy, two-bit, and good-for-nothing, rebellious. Get those stones. And when they got stones, listen, these weren't like little landscaping rocks. I mean, we're talking stones that would weigh one pound to five pounds, ten pounds, up to 50 pounds in weight that they would pummel this kid with. Just plaster him with these stones. And so the father jumps to his feet. He runs. He throws his arms around him. Why? To protect him. 
As if to say, you know what, if you're going to stone him, you're going to stone me too. If, you, if you're going to kill him, you're going to have to go through me. And then he puts his robe on him. Now, in that culture, a robe spoke of your identity. Meaning that, that men in, in, in that day would often be known by the color of robe they wore. From a great distance, you know, you, you might not be able to, to see their face, but you still recognize the color of their robe and go, oh, hey, that, that, that's Bob. That, that, that's Mike. And so in this case, he puts his robe on his son. Meaning that from that point on, when people looked at the son, they no longer saw the pig slop. They no longer saw the rebellion. They no longer saw the sin. They saw the father's robe. And in the same way, listen, when you come to the Lord or when you come back to your heavenly father, he covers you with his robe. They no longer see your sins. They no longer see your reputation. From this point on, all they see are his robe of righteousness covering you. You're known by his name and not yours from this point on. And then the Bible tells us that the father then gave him his signet ring. That'd be the equivalent of, of giving your son your, your American Express platinum card. You know, it's a way of saying, look, you know, whatever you want, whatever you buy, you, it, it's charged to your father's account. Now, this speaks of sonship. Of sonship. You see, the father refused to accept him as a slave. Instead, he restored him as a son. And can I say the same is true of you? You know, maybe some of you are here this morning and maybe you've been struggling with sin to the point that, that you not only feel guilty, but you're getting to the point where you don't feel worthy. You don't feel worthy of being called a son or a daughter. You feel like a lowly two-bit slave. On that note, here's God's word to you. God's word is it's here in chapter four, verse seven. Look at it again. It says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because he's made you a son, because he's made you a daughter, you will inherit the kingdom of God. You will inherit life in heaven. Because you're his son, you're his daughter. He hasn't accepted you as a slave. He refuses to accept you as a slave. He has restored you as a son and as a daughter. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast.